Jesus, Lord, we sing hallelujah. We praise your name right now in this moment. God, we ask that these moments in your presence, singing, declaring hallelujah, God, will lead to movements in our life, God. Watching you move, reminded of your scripture that says, you hear the voice of the Lord, don't harden your hearts. Lord, and I just pray right now, Father, as we remember, God, all that you've done, all that you're doing, all that you will do, God, that the same hallelujah in the past when we got that thing that we were longing for, we said, God, thank you, God, for moving. When, when we saw you move in our salvation, God, when we came to the altar previously or we asked for your help and you came through, God, even if we don't feel it right now in the present, we sing a hallelujah for what you did because we know you were the same yesterday, today, and forever. What you did, you can do do now and you will do in the future because your word promises that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. That's reason enough for us to say hallelujah. Come on, someone in here say hallelujah. You can think of what God has done and it gives that hallelujah, that word hallelujah simply means the highest form, the highest word that can be said of praise to someone. And that's what we say to our God because he's awesome. Can we give the Lord a hand in this place? Father, you're good. He is good. Why don't you have a seat if you can? And we've got some great things today. If you're new with us, or just coming on, maybe today is your first day with us. We're thankful that you're here. We've been in a series called DM, um, standing for Dating and Marriage. And we've you can check out our podcasts, um, all of those kind of things on our app. You can find that on our website. If you're interested in knowing kind of some of the things we've been talking about concerning dating and marriage. Today, as we like to do, especially with these types of series, we're ending with a panel. And so we have a panel of people that we'll introduce to you in one moment where we're taking in questions. And so if you have any questions, we've gotten some throughout the week, but we're also taking live questions and we're going to try to approach them as much as we can. Um, you can text CLCQ to the number 31996. So you test text that, CLCQ, and then it'll get you started, and then you can just ask your questions away. And uh, we, we might not have perfect answers, but we'll have good responses. So a little Q, a question and response time, and we're excited about having that. Can we welcome our, our panelists to come up here? Come on up. We're going to take a second and get to know these guys. Let's just go around. We'll start with you, Margaret, tell us your name and uh, what you do here, uh, not only at CLC, but for a living. Um, my name is Margaret. Um, for work, <laughs> for work, um, I'm assistant director of missions at RISE. Um, for here, I serve on the Connect team and in a lot of other areas. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my name is Kenneth Laird, formerly in the chemical engineering, oil and gas, um, uh, not really doing anything. I wake up every morning and <laughs> pray for you guys who are out on the street, 
course, it's 9.30 or 10, but I do get up. Sometimes later than that. I'm Martha Laird. I'm his other half. And uh, we've been married almost 44 years. I used to be an educational diagnostician. Um, That's someone that does the special ed testing and all the paperwork for federal and state regulations for special education. Uh, I am retired, and we have a different lifestyle now than when we were working. Um, Anyhow, and we do premarital counseling and marriage counseling, so that's what we do here. You're good. You're good. Um, I am Rachel Joplin. Uh, I am a PhD student at the University of Houston in the English department. I'm currently writing my dissertation. Um, And in terms of like church, uh, you saw me up there, I do that. Uh, (laughs) And you probably see me back there, I do that too. Um, And uh, I have been married to this delightful human next to me um, for two two and a half years. How how do you follow up with that? How How do you follow that? Uh, I'm Justin. Uh, I have also been married to this wonderful, wonderful person next to me for about two and a half years, surprisingly. Um, And uh, I am an IT manager, and of course I serve in basically the same places that she does. Hi, I'm Kwon Yu. I'm a research scientist at Baylor College of Medicine studying brain cancer. Um, Here at church, I serve on production, Leadership 215. Um, And I represent the single gentleman in the room. Somebody put the title on me, CLC's Most Eligible Bachelor, but I'm not claiming that. But you just claimed it. There we go. (laughs) Amen. Can we put a quote up there with his picture? Uh, So we like to have fun here. We're going to start with some questions. And again, please text in any, uh, if you'd like, for us to try to have some type of response. Here's the first question we have up here. What are some practical ways for me to help communicate with my spouse. I was going to let Kenneth lead this one as he did first service, uh, but I'll kind of follow the same thing that I did there. Um, we actually have found uh, in our marriage that it's helpful to kind of have a, a bit of a meta conversation, a pre-conversation. Um, so when we're going into a conversation and there's some conflict kind of coming up, um, what we do is we say, okay, do you need me to be a, a vacuum? Do you need me to be a mirror? Or do you need me to be a critic? Um, and a black hole is just, okay, what I'm doing is I'm venting at you, take everything I'm sending your way and just throw it away. I just need to get the poison out. I just need to get rid of it. The mirror is, okay, I need you to tell me what you heard me say so that I can tell if I'm communicating effectively and clearly with what I think I'm saying. Um, and the critic is the uh, the final stage of that process, and it's the... I don't know if that's really what you wanted to say kind of thing. Um, To piggyback off of that, uh, I think it's important to remember that it's you and your spouse versus the problem, and it's not you versus your spouse. Um, I find that uh, conflict, arguments, um, intense fellowship, whatever you prefer to call it, um, happens a lot more naturally and resolves a lot quickly, a lot more quickly and a lot more healthily Um, when you recognize that your spouse is on your side, your spouse is on your team, um, it's extremely rare that they're not. And, uh, to use, to use language like, I feel like, um, or I, I think rather than you are, you did, um, 
One of, one of the worst things you can say in an argument is, well, you, I've realized. So um, I think just remembering that you're on the same team um, and you are fighting against your problem. That's good. I also like to use the word, I believe, because mm -hmm. um, you do believe that. So that's a good way to start versus this is truth, but this is what I'm believing right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say it took me a long time to figure out that uh, I know you've probably heard the statistic that women speak 25,000 words a day and guys speak around it says 10,000 I would say closer to 10 but <laughs> it took me a long time to figure out she she actually wanted me to listen to what she was saying it's hard to listen to all 25,000 words every day and she didn't need me and I know we talk about this sometimes but she didn't need me to fix it because I kept trying to tell her well I can fix whatever you're telling me she just wanted me to listen and that's very hard. It was very hard for me. I'm very good at it now. After 43 years, he got good at it. He didn't start good at it. Um, when we first got married, he would come in from work, get his shower, and sit at the table with the newspaper and ask me what I did today. Well, while I was cooking, I would tell him, you know, spend 30 minutes telling him every little detail of the day, who I talked to, who I didn't talk to, everything. And he would ever once in a while throw out a, uh-huh, and then, okay, what else? And then when we'd sit down to eat, he would say, well, did you talk to anyone today? <laughs> I just told you, everybody I talked to, but he didn't listen. He heard me talking, but he didn't hear me. He didn't listen. And there is a huge difference in hearing and listening. So you need to communicate and listen. 44 years of marriage right there. Right there, that's good. I, I do appreciate, um, women are more detailed than men. Um, for sure, right? Uh, so you do need to listen. Um, women, it's okay to speed it up. God bless you. Uh, I say that with uh, 19 years of marriage. It's okay. It's okay to speed up. I heard one comedian say, and it would help if you ended with a da-da-da, da-da-da, so I know when you're done. Um, but, uh, but yeah, speeding it up so we're not actually losing time. Um, uh, but, yeah, I think it's it, being succinct, being ready to listen, and just showing care, body language, um, looking at the person, not being distracted by phones and other things when they're talking to you. That's hard. It takes a discipline, but it shows care um, because 90% of communication is body language as well. So, Okay, another question. Um, what do you think it means to have a Christ-centered marriage? I mean, I'm not married, but... <laughs> um, you know, I think you in and of yourself have to be Christ-centered to have a Christ-centered marriage. Um, I think to have Christ-centered relationships, to have Christ-centered community, I think um, just as a reminder, if, if that is not something that is important to you now, and is that if you are not seeking first the kingdom of God now, it doesn't just turn on when you get into these relationships and these and marriages and all that kind of stuff. So um, that's just kind of my nugget there is um, some of you, um, you know, that want these things or want certain things, um, in marriage, um, or even in just friendships, you know, are you practicing those now? 
I find Christ-centeredness in marriage to be about sustainability. Um, your marriage is going to have good patches and bad patches and good days and bad days. And um, when you don't have Christ at the center of your marriage during the good patches, the bad patches will come and you won't know what to do. You'll be lost. Um, if you don't practice, like exactly what Margaret was saying, like if you don't practice the good proactive habits uh, during the good times, then when the bad times come, you'll be scrambling and trying to figure out what you're supposed to do and you won't have a footing um, in Christ. So I find that like marriages without Christ can look good for a while, but eventually they will not be so good. Um, and if you don't have Christ to fall back on as your center, if you don't have him orientating you, um, then that's going to lead to a bad time, I think. Um, before we get married, our life should be on the foundation of biblical principles, the love of the Lord. And when we get married, that's what we build our life on, is a foundation in biblical principles and having the Lord between us and in us and with us. And he's there in good times and he's there in bad times. And it doesn't mean bad times between us, even though it can be, but it can be bad times when we lose our parents. Anyhow. Okay. Uh, okay, here's another one. For singles, how do you keep yourself pure and live a life of holiness? Since I didn't speak last round. Um, <laughs> I'll speak on it a bit more pragmatically, sort of what I do. Uh, for those of you guys who've been to our men's gatherings, um, we've talked a lot about you know, having a game plan, having a battle plan. And so what are things that you do? What are the systems that you put in place you know, when you feel attacked? Um, you know, personally for me, you know, I have a list of things I go through. Um, you know, read the Bible, pray, go work out, go into the kitchen and cook, you know, go to work. You know, the idea being that you put yourself in a better spiritual place and space as well as you get yourself out of a dangerous space where you can find yourself further prone to, you know, falling, you know, in the areas of purity um, and holiness. You know, and this is kind of all on the back end, you know, a reactionary plan. Um, you know, go down your contact list. You know, call on your brothers. It's like, dude, you just want to hang out? You know, simple as that. Um, on the front end of it, also, you know, get yourself in the Word. Be disciplined about, you know, reading the Bible. It might sound trite and, you know, but there's a reason we tell you to because it works. You know, find yourself in community. Find yourself with people who, are, who know you, who are real with you, that when they see something is off, they could speak truth to you in love. You may not like it, but they're going in with love and have the grace to be able to receive it. Um, yeah, I think I'll add to this. You know, one of the things, if you, if you want to live 
counterculturally, then you're gonna have to do a lot of countercultural things. And so um, I think this idea um, of not being siloed um, and kind of what Quan hit on is in being in community and having accountability and, and like real accountability. I think um, generally with this question, I think the first thing that comes to a lot of people's minds or even the person that wrote that question is, um, you know, purity, physical purity, um, which I think the reality is as a single person, as an older single person, and I'm only 28, you know, there are, there are more people that are older and single, it, it's hard and it, it gets hard. There's a, there's a real war raging there because of desires that are natural, but that are not um, for you yet. Um, and so I, I don't really know how, how you do it without having this um, deep accountability of people. Um, you know, I think for a long time people would just say, just pray and just talk to God about it. And, and I did, but um, when you're doing that in silence, you know, the enemy comes in. I, the enemy loves isolation. Like he loves, he loves to just come at you when you're isolated. And it's, it's one of those things that's like no one will ever know. You know, and so um, I think you have to be really honest with yourself of like, who are those people that are gonna call me out or that I'm confessing to because I don't know how that changes without it. That's great. All right, here's some more. How would you counsel singles who believe they will be unfulfilled, miss out, if they don't have an intimate relationship, including physical intimacy? You are defined by a holy creator who made you with a purpose and with, um, with intentionality. You are not defined by your relationship status. You are not defined by whether you're dating, single, married, divorced. We're all sinners. We're all in need of salvation. We all need the same Jesus. That's who defines you. I think also um, practically that no matter what position you're in, like whatever you're doing is hard. So um, I think, I wanna be very respectful with this answer um, because I recognize that I am married and so I definitely don't want to say anything and um, have single people be like, well, you just don't understand because there's some truth to that that like I can't understand right now. But um, honestly, uh, intimate relationships are very difficult and there's, um, it's honestly not about missing out. It's about like, this is another layer of complexity and another experience that you may have or you may not. Um, and it's not, it's not a requirement on a checklist to like get into heaven or to be a good Christian or to be sanctified um, or even to just experience a good life. Um, like I don't, I, I think that's, that can sometimes be the danger as we see like marriage or physical intimacy is like, we, we check the box, we got the human experience. Um, and uh, I think that can be, that can be the lie that is told a lot of times to single people. Yeah, so I, I think um, this question can uh, come a lot of times because I think they're in big C church or however you say it. Um, I think there's this um, idea that um, when you are not married, there's a sanctification or a level of Christianity that you are missing out on. So sometimes married people, not purposefully, but can say things like, you know, I... Um, there's a, there's sin that in my life that I did not see until I was married, or there's a level of God that I now see in marriage that I didn't see when I was single, or um, I've never known the depths of my sin so deeply until I was married. And um, I think that's dangerous because I think that what that 
But what that says to single people is that there's a level of Christianity that we will not obtain unless we are married. And there's a lot of level of sanctification, and that's just not who God is. I think if you look in scripture, you know, one thing too with marriage is marriage is not going to be in heaven in the way it is here, you know? And so it is strictly um, to uh, sh show Jesus's love um, to the church, you know what I mean? And so I think, but what that what that can do is confuse us single people and say like we are on this like JV level and you've made like this varsity Christian team that we cannot obtain. And God is gonna sanctify you in the way he's gonna sanctify you. Like if you're single, that means that's his best for you right now and that's his best way to sanctify you. And if you're married, it's the same thing. They're two separate gifts that are equal in what God wants to do in and through you. And so if you're not seeing your sin and your singleness, or if you're not seeing aspects of God in your singleness that says a lot about how you are hearing God and even your community, then it does about, um, you know, whether or not like you're in a relationship or not. And so, I mean, that's something you would probably need to think about is like, what is God trying to show me that I'm not? And what does my community look like? Is my community everyone that thinks and thinks like me and no one's calling me out on anything? So I would kind of think about that. It's good. I, I think about this, and as a married person for 19 years, um, uh, not as qualified, um, but I think about the idea of the Garden of Eden where God's like, hey, you can have any, any tree, but not that one. And sometimes, like, the forbidden fruit is the thing we want the most, and yet it's not always the best thing. And so um, even physical intimacy, when you're talking about sex specifically, um, can be a great thing in the confines of trust and relationship. And even all the stats point to that. The best sex is happening. And I know this because I used to teach abstinence in public schools all around Texas. The best sex is happening in trusting, committed relationships, uh, marriages specifically. And so the, the idea sometimes in our sexual culture is like this is the thing. Like this is the, f the fruit. This is the tree. If you don't have that, you don't have anything. And I'm just here to say that's a lie. It's overrated. It really is. And I can tell you that. I had a, I had a guy who I was counseling and he had never even kissed a girl till the altar. So when I said you may now kiss the bride, he was serious. Now, um, his, his bride wasn't. She had had sexual relationship, and they walked through that, but they had a beautiful marriage. And I remember, no joke, and I'm not meaning to be crass. This is true. He calls me after his honeymoon, and, and he goes, I'm so glad I waited for that. Because what it was built up to be, it was great. Don't get me wrong. Praise the Lord. But I'm so glad I waited because it wasn't worth what everybody said, like this value, this is the highest thing. And that's what I would encourage you, that it is great and especially in the right context, but it's not everything. So you have to kind of disassociate yourself from culture that makes sex everything. It's not what, what that is, okay? So that would be my two cents. And I have a license to talk, so... Um, <laughs> Couples, how do you fight and then resolve well? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I've learned that she's usually right. Uh, that's, I'm serious. It's usually just because, I, guys, I'm, I'm a very imperfect person. <laughs> yes, yeah, she would agree. 
And settling fights, it took me a long time. You have to understand our family, we yelled, good morning. <laughs> I mean, that's just where we came from in my family. Her family was very quiet, very, uh, in my opinion, suppressed. <laughs> we were very outward. Uh, and it, it was the old thing, why are you hollering at me? <sighs> I'm not hollering at you yet. You'll know when I'm hollering at you. So that took us a while when we had arguments among ourselves. I had to learn to bring it down. And I don't know if yeah, none of y'all might be like that. I don't know. But, I mean, I'm just telling you how it came in our home. I had to learn how to be very quiet, listen to what she was saying. She told you a while ago, listen. It's, it's easier for us. Man, we want to get our point out. We want to say something. We want to be right. And it's not always being right. It's, uh, anyway, I, I love her enough that I definitely want to hear what she has to say. And, and I don't want to just be right so I can be right in the, in the home, if that, if that helps you. We also learned to argue facts and not emotions because that's all that counts is the facts. I mean, yes, how I feel is a little bit important to me, but it really isn't important in the argument. So argue your facts and do not argue in front of your kids, no matter what. Take it behind closed doors and argue quietly. Um, anyone that's spent more than about 30 seconds with Rachel and I will know that both of us are very opinionated. Um, we're both very stubborn, and that tends to lead... Thank you, Henry. Thank you, Henry. Uh, we, and that tends to lead to a lot of conflict. Um, more than anything else, I would say the first thing that we have is a checklist of have I slept, have I ate, and have we had sex in a reasonable amount of time? Like, just being practical, honestly. Like, those three things will mess with your brain chemicals so much it puts you in a mood. Um, and then beyond that, it's getting through the feelings to the root of the problem. It's at learning to ask the right questions, listening to, okay, am I hearing what you're saying? Are you communicating in a way that I'm understanding? Okay, let's talk about the why. Let's get into the root of the issue. And in some cases, it takes us even days of like revisiting a conversation before we actually get to the real root of the problem. Once the root of the problem is discovered, being very intentional about apologizing for what we've done wrong and forgiving quickly for where we've been hurt in other areas is a huge part of that as well. Yeah, um, a couple of things. One, to go off that very last point, um, yeah, own your 2%, right? So like when you have, and that's just the expression. It might, you might be the 98%, you might be the 50%, whatever. But like own your part of the conflict and apologize for what you've done that has hurt the other person. Um, I will also say that more often than not, the reason that conflict arises, at least in my marriage, is because we're having two separate conversations. Um, I'm having one conversation and he's having a separate conversation and we are just talking past each other. So being intentional about setting, setting those ground rules, setting that like, are you wanting a void, a mirror, a critic? Are, are you coming to me with a problem that we need to fix together? Are you just angry right now about something else? Um, because that's not uncommon. <laughs> um, so being intentional about saying like, 
why is this conflict happening? Um, and I also wanted to be intentional about saying, it is okay to step away. It is okay to step away. Um, I'm an external processor. I will just fling my emotions and opinions into the ether. Like, I will just, I, I will just yell and fling. Justin is an internal processor, and there are times when he gets overwhelmed, and he's like, I need a minute, because otherwise this conflict is not gonna be productive. Um, and I had to learn to be patient with my spouse and realize that he needed that minute. Um, so I think knowing yourself well and knowing how you process conflict and negative emotions and being able to explain to your spouse, like, this is what I need in these, like, negative spaces. Like, this is what I need from you as my partner and being able to communicate that. I would, I would add, um, being 19 years um, in marriage, that recognizing not every problem or conflict is a problem to solve. Sometimes it's a tension to manage. And so after several years, you say, oh, we have the same fight. We're talking about the same thing over and over. And, it's, and you can get frustrated. Well, we're not solving this. Well, it's because it's a tension that needs to be managed. For instance, work life and family life. That's not a problem to solve. I mean, if you win the lottery, I guess you solve that problem maybe, but more money, more problems, right? But you're always going to have this tension of I've got to work, I've got my family, and it's going to be a tension. And if you're just trying to constantly solve that problem, you're going to escape and not want to deal with the conflict anymore because you can't live in the tension. But sometimes you have to be able to do that in marriage and in conflict. And so recognizing those two things, I think is super, super helpful when it deals with any kind of conflict. Okay, what are the biggest myths about singleness you encounter in the church? We hit a little bit. Any other thoughts on that? I guess, um, I guess one of the ideas is, you know, oh, you have a lot more free time. You should be more engaged. You should be doing more church stuff. Listen, God calls you to what God calls you. No one else tells you, you know, how you live your sanctified life. Um, at the same time, you know, one thing maybe I would have had, you know, which falls into this is if you find yourself on the receiving end of that, um, it sucks, you know, but extend grace, um, you know, for whatever all of us are different from each other and all of us have opinions about, you know, what the other person is doing and all of us feel a need to share. Okay. But extend grace because the thing is, as much as it's difficult to take in how you respond and how you, um, you know, manage that says something about you. Um, I would say, you know, and it can, this can apply not just in the context of church, um, not just in the context of singleness, but all around. Um, you know, when people are trying to speak either the truth or a truth, you know, respond with grace. Yeah, I'll just, I think, add real quick, reiterate something I said earlier, but that um, I think there's this myth that if you do X, Y, and Z in your singleness that you will get married, and God has not promised that, um, and that is not necessarily true, and so I think you know, the verse, again, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. I think just in life, seeking him first and, and, and doing that, you're, you're never going to have a regret about doing that. But I, I, I say this to single people because I've had to say this to myself. God has not promised that to you. And, um, and though it is a 
natural and healthy desire to have, even if you have it. And so I think in the time of your waiting, however long that is, um, seek the kingdom of God first. Because if you don't get it, you're never going to regret seeking the kingdom of God. And if you do get it, then it's just going to be better for your marriage. All right. What is a kind, palatable way for a girl to decline to, to decline a guy who reaches out to her for a date? This is very specific. <laughs> Obviously, you've been there. Guys, pay attention. Whom she's not attracted to is not being attracted to him a sufficient reason to say no. Is that fair? So, random person that has a very specific answer, let's help. Come on. I said this in first service, and I'm going to say this again. Uh, Women, you don't owe a guy an explanation for why you've said no. You have every bit of autonomy to decide who you want to date, when you want to date, why you want to date. You could say no because it's a random Tuesday. You could say no because you feel like the Holy Spirit is telling you that that is not the person you need to be dating right now. Guys, if she says no, leave her alone. (laughs) Just... (laughs) And to reiterate something I said. I would like to say uh, real quick, uh, in the first service, she gave it more detailed. I'm going to make it very quick. She <laughs> thought I was weird, and I think that's very strange. And I met her at a Bible study. I, I would think going to a Bible study right off the bat puts me in a really higher category. And, you know, it's not like a bar at a honky-tonk or something. But I just want you to know, guys, even if they're, they find you weird or strange, uh, I'm going to disagree just a little bit. If you really think she's really the one, take your time, slowly work your way into being a friend with her, you know, trick her into thinking, I really like you, you're really sweet, and then, you know, oh, maybe he's not as weird as I thought he was. And then, you know, say, hey, you want to go out on a date? It might work. didn't work the first time, but it might work later on. So there's a fine line between, like, stalker <laughs> and persistent. Persistence, yes. Okay. I mean, but, you know, you know she's the one. You <laughs> okay. know she's the one. I got you. I think focusing on the friendship aspect is the important part, right? So, like, um, no one is owed an intimate relationship to anyone else ever, period, whether it's romantic or platonic or whatever. Um, but I think there's a nuance and an intentionality to, like, seeking community with someone that can then turn into uh, a more intimate relationship if, if that is what is intended for the two of you. And so I think um, I, I definitely concur that like focusing on building the relationship on the grounds of friendship and on, um, uh, on a mutual mission and on, 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 a, on mutual interests is extremely important. Um, building something beyond just like, oh, I, I find you quite attractive. Like building something beyond that. Um, because that way, like, regardless of whether or not it goes anywhere in terms of dating, um, you, have, you have a new community connection, and I think that's, like, what it's all about. Yeah, uh, yeah. so, I mean, um, one of the things I would say, um, I'll caveat this. So, I think, yes, you, I think you need to be attracted to someone, um, but I would say attraction also grows with time, and it is very relative from person to person. Um, and so... There can be times when initially, like, you saw him in a crowd, and he's, like, not attractive. And so I'm not saying go date that person, and then six months later be like, no, it's not it. But I would say kind of keep them in your corner in the sense of, like, see how they are in community. Because sometimes character and personality changes the way you see somebody. And it happens the opposite way. I mean, I'm sure people have 
known people in here who look very attractive and you get to know them as a person and they're a jerk and all of a sudden it's like what you saw the first time is not what you see today. And so um, I, I caveat with that because um, I think attraction can grow um, and I wouldn't jump into a relationship without it, but I'm just saying that I think if you spend time with certain people, sometimes the attraction that wasn't initially there may come. And that's a lot probably from the Lord in a lot of ways. Um, so don't completely dismiss, um, but just kind of keep them in your corner. You don't have to even tell them that, but just kind of view them from afar and you kind of see, okay, this is how they interact with people. Like I see their character, I see their heart. Like, is there something growing there? And if there's not, then that's great. And if there is, then that's great too. Great. All right. Um, what was the biggest surprise about marriage for you? I'd be Rachel to this one because we had the same answer for first service. So I get to tell it first. Um, the, for me, it was about how simultaneously easy and difficult it is. Um, not to you know, discount what Margaret said earlier too much, but to say that there are different problems and challenges that you experience in marriage that you don't experience in singleness. There are different levels of intimacy. Um, but the fact that you have someone that is in your corner 24-7 fighting with you, fighting alongside you, um, that is facing a problem from a different perspective that you wouldn't have considered, but that is able to help you and assist you and has your back in every possible way just makes fighting those challenges that much easier. Anybody else? Kenneth, what was the most surprising thing for you? <laughs> well, I said in the first service, listen, guys, everything in marriage to me was a surprise. Uh, I was surprised she married me. <laughs> Uh, everything, everything. I love Kenneth. Kenneth. Kenneth gets teared up very quickly. But I'm sure when you were a young single man, you were so hard-hearted. Martha just softened your heart. Come on, I love Kenneth. Uh, I, I would, I would agree. Um, everything, and uh, you've heard me say it before, but. Me and my wife have been married 19 years, and she's been married to six different men um, because I've changed about six different times. Um, with each new addition, conflict, um, there's, a, there's a different person because I'm not done cooking. You're not done cooking. We're being perfected. We're being engaged. If you're in Christ, we're coming into his image, but nobody in this room can claim perfection. So we're all changing. And so I think there is just constant surprise. But that's the exciting part, too. Sometimes it's conflict that brings that out. Sometimes it's success that brings that out, good or bad. And so there is a lot of surprises. I don't know what the biggest one is. Probably for me, once having kids, kind of the... Um, my, I knew my wife was strong, but after watching her have three babies, women are amazing. Like, you can make a creature in your body. That's amazing. Um, and you just don't realize it uh, and how strong, I didn't realize how strong my wife was to that extent. That was so surprising um, and just beautiful at the same time. So can we give our panelists a great hand? 
Great job. We, we have one more service to go, so if uh, you could still text some things in if you'd like, and you can always um, listen to them. We can probably have all three of these on the, the website. Um, we'll make it work, but uh, so you can get some. And if you want to throw in some crazy questions you want answered, um, make another service do it. So I want to invite our missions director, Carrie, to come up here. Thanks. Um, yeah, so I'm going to say, too, guys, we're so thankful for your wisdom. And there's a reason why these people are up here. They weren't just chosen arbitrarily. Um, they've got some wisdom and um, some great stories to back that up. And so if you are a couple or an individual and you're just wanting more insight or maybe even prayer for yourself or for your spouse, please come and chat with them, and they'd love to do that for you. Um, some things going on in City Life Church this coming, uh, these next few weeks. Baby dedications are going to be next Sunday. Day. And so if you have a little one, maybe you're already signed up and you've already got your little one ready to dedicate. But if you have a, a little guy or a little girl and you would like to dedicate them unto the church as we um, present these children and as we all vow to grow them as a body, as a church, that will be next Sunday. And so in the next would be Night of Worship, which is going to be this Saturday. You guys, this is a free event that we have where we have an amazing worship team, people who've coming together to bring creative items, everything so that we can worship God freely. And so if you've been before, you know how powerful it is. And um, if you haven't, come and find out and bring a friend too. It's going to be so good. And then also we have One Church happening. I know some of you guys, this is familiar. Some of you who are new may not know what our One Church is. Our One Church, we have the three services. We all get to come together at 5 p.m. on a Sunday. All of the services and there's new people and people who've been here for years and we get to find out what's going on in our church. We get to break bread together, have communion and worship and, um, and just know about the future of this church and what's going on. So that that's going to be so good. I can't encourage you enough to come to these things and to be a part of them. But if you stand with me, I will pray, and then we will be dismissed. God, I thank you so much that you have invited us into your kingdom and invited us into a life that is not stagnant, but just growing constantly. God, I thank you that you sanctify us, you change us, that uh, we were like barbarians before you, but your Holy Spirit has come and is making us new. And God, I thank you that you've given us relationships and you've provided for us people around us, whether we are single or we are married, to commit our lives to and to, to show your love to. So God, I pray that you would, um, you would do that perfectly in us and that we would cement ourselves unto your leadership ultimately. God, we love you and we pray that we can be um, believers in this place and outside of these walls as well. We love you and we give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.